Welcome to First Chapter Friday. Today I'd like to share two sections of the book Arusha and the End of Time, written by Roshani Chokti. There is an introduction by Rick Reardon, and there is the first chapter that I'm going to read with you. And this is part of the Rick Reardon Presents series, so it will be interesting to see what Rick has to say. So this is the introduction. Arusha is about to explode your head. Have you ever read a book and thought, wow, I wish I had written that? For me, Arusha and the End of Time is one of those books. It has everything I like. Humor, action, great characters, and of course, awesome mythology. But this is not a book I could have written. I just don't have the expertise or insider's knowledge to tackle the huge, incredible world of Hindu mythology, much less make it so fun and reader-friendly. Fortunately for all of us, Roshani Chokshi does. If you're not familiar with Hindu mythology, wow, are you in for a treat? You thought Zeus, Ares, and Apollo were wild? Wait until you meet Hanuman and Urvashi. You thought Riptide was a cool weapon? Check out this fine assortment of divine astros, maces, swords, bows, and nets woven with lightning. Take a pick. You're going to need them. You thought Medusa was scary? She's got nothing on the Magini and Rakshas. Arusha, a salty and smart 7th grade girl from Atlanta, is about to plunge into the midst of all this craziness and her adventure will make your head explode in the best possible way. If you already know Hindu mythology, you're about to have the most entertaining family reunion ever. You're going to see lots of your favorites, gods, demons, monsters, villains and heroes. You're going to soar up to the heavens and down into the underworld. And no matter how many of those myths you already know, I'll bet you a pack of Twizzlers, you're going to learn something new. Can you tell I'm excited to share this book with you? Yeah, I'm pretty excited. So what are you waiting for? Arusha is hanging out in the Museum of Ancient Indian Art and Culture, where her mom works. Autumn break has started, and Aru is pretty sure it's going to be a boring day. Yikes, she is so wrong. And that's from Rick Reardon. Chapter 1. In which Aru regrets opening the door. The problem with growing up around highly dangerous things is that after a while, you just get used to them. For as long as she could remember, Aru had lived in the Museum of Ancient Indian Art and Culture, and she knew full well that the lamp at the end of the Hall of the Gods was not to be touched. She could mention the lamp of destruction, the way a pirate had tamed a sea monster could casually say, Oh, you mean old ramp here? But even though she was used to the lamp, she had never once lit it. That would be against the rules. The rules she went over every Saturday when she led the afternoon visitors tour. Some folks may not like the idea of working on a weekend, but it never felt like the work to Aru. It felt like a ceremony, like a secret. She would don her crisp scarlet vest with its three honeybee buttons. She would imitate her mother's museum curator voice and people, this was the best part of all, would listen. Their eyes never left her face, especially when she talked about the cursed lamp. Sometimes she thought it was the most fascinating thing she ever discussed. A cursed lamp is a much more interesting topic than, say, a visit to the dentist, although one could argue that both are cursed. Aru had lived at the museum for so long, it kept no secrets from her. She had grown up reading and doing her homework beneath the giant stone elephant at the entrance, 
Often she'd fall asleep in the theatre and wake up just before the crackling self-guided tour recording announced that India became independent from Britain in 1947. She even regularly hid a stash of candy in the mouth of the 400-year-old sea dragon statue, she named it Steve, in the West Wing. Aru knew everything about everything in the museum, except one thing. The lamp. For the most part, it remained a mystery. It's not quite a lamp, her mother, renowned curator and archaeologist Dr. K.P. Shah, had told her the first time she showed it to Aru. We called it a dia. Aru remembered pressing her nose against the glass case, staring at the lump of clay. As far as cursed objects went, this was by far the most boring. It was shaped like a pinched hockey puck. Small markings, like bite marks, crimped the edges. And yet, for all its normalness, even the statues filling the Hall of the Gods seemed to lean away from the lamp, giving it a wide berth. Why can't we light it? she had asked her mother. Her mother had met her gaze. Sometimes light illuminates things that are better left in the dark. Besides, you never know who's watching. Well, Aru had watched. She's been watching her entire life. Every day after school, she would come home, hang her backpack from the stone elephant's trunk, and creep towards the Hall of the Gods. It was a museum's most popular exhibit, filled with hundreds of statues of various Hindu gods. Her mother had lined the walls with tall mirrors so visitors could see the artifacts from all angles. The mirrors are vintage, a word Aru had used when she traded Burton Prater, a greenish penny for a whopping two dollars and a half, a Twix bar. Because of the tall crepe myrtles and elms standing outside the windows, the light that filtered into the hall of the gods always looked a little muted, feathered almost, as if the statues were wearing crowns of light. Aru would stand at the entrance, her gaze resting on her favourite statues, Lord Indra, the King of Heavens, yielding a thunderbolt, Lord Krishna playing his flutes, the Buddha sitting with his spine straight and legs folded in meditation. Before her eyes would inevitably be drawn to the daya in its glass case, she would stand there for minutes waiting for something, anything that would make the next day at school more interesting or make people notice that she, Aru Shah, wasn't just another seventh grader slouching through middle school, but someone extraordinary. Aru was waiting for magic, and every day she was disappointed. Do something, she whispered to the gods' statues. It was a Monday morning, and she was still in her pajamas. You've got plenty of time to do something awesome, because I'm on autumn break. The statues did nothing. Aru shrugged and looked out the window. The trees of Atlanta, Georgia, hadn't yet realized it was October. Only their top halves had taken on a scarlet and golden hue, as if someone had dunked them halfway in the bucket of fire and then plopped them back on the lawn. As Aru had expected, the day was on its way to being uneventful. That should have been her first warning. The world has a tendency to trick people. It likes to make a day feel as bright and lazy as sun-warmed honey dripping down a jar as it waits until your guard is down. And that's when it strikes. Moments before the visitor alarm rang, Aru's mom had been gliding through the cramped two-bedroom apartment connected to the museum. She seemed to be reading three books at a time, while also conversing on a phone in a language that sounded like a chorus of tiny bells. Aru, on the other hand, was lying upside down on the couch, 
pelting pieces of popcorn at her, trying to get her attention. Mom, don't say anything if you can take me to the movies. Her mom laughed gracefully into the phone. Aru scowled. Why couldn't she laugh like that? When Aru laughed, she sounded like she was choking on air. Mom, don't say anything if we can get a dog. A great Pyrrhus. We can name him Beowulf. Now her mother was nodding with her eyes closed, which meant she was sincerely paying attention, just not to Aru. Mom, don't say anything if beep, beep, beep. Her mother lifted a delicate eyebrow and stared at Aru. You know what to do. Aru did know what to do. She just didn't want to do it. She rolled off the couch and Spider-Man crawled across the floor in one last bid to get her mother's attention. This was a difficult feat considering that the floor was littered with books and half-empty chai mugs. She looked back to see her mom jotting something on a notepad. Slouching, Aru opened the door and headed to the stairs. Monday afternoons at the museum were quiet. Even Sherilyn, the head of museum security and Aru's long-suffering babysitter on the weekends, didn't come in on Mondays. Any other day, except Sunday, when the museum was closed, Aru would help hand out visitor stickers. She would direct people to the various exhibits and point out where the bathrooms were. Once she would even had the opportunity to yell at someone when they patted the stone elephant, which had a very distinct do not touch sign. In Aru's mind, this applied to everyone who wasn't her. On Mondays, she had come to expect occasional visitors seeking temporary shelter from bad weather, or people who wanted to express their concern in the gentlest way possible that the Museum of Ancient Indian Art and Culture honored the devil, or sometimes just a FedEx man needing a signature for a package. What she did not expect when she opened the door to greet the new visitors was that they would be three students from Augustus Day School. Aru experienced one of those elevator stop too fast sensations. A low whoosh of panic hit her stomach as the three students stared down at her and her Spider-Man pajamas. The first, Poppy Lopez, crossed her tan freckled arms. Her brown hair was pulled back in a ballerina bun. The second, Burton Prater, who held out his hand where an ugly penny sat in his palm. Burton was short and pale, and his striped black and yellow shirt made him look like an unfortunate bumblebee. The third, Ariel Reddy, the prettiest girl in their class, with her dark brown skin and shiny black hair, simply glared. I knew it, said Poppy triumphantly. You told everyone in math class that your mom was taking you to friends for a break. That's what mom had promised, Aru thought. Last summer, Aru's mother had curled up on the couch, exhausted from another trip overseas. Right before she fell asleep, she had squeezed Aru's shoulder and said, Perhaps I'll take you to Paris in the fall, Aru. There's a cafe along the Seine River where you can hear the stars come out before they dance in the night sky. We'll go to boulangeries and museums, sip coffee from tiny cups and spend hours in the gardens. That night, Aru had stayed awake, dreaming of narrow winding streets and gardens so fancy that even the flowers looked haughty. With that promise in mind, Aru had cleaned her room and washed the dishes without complaint. And at school, the promise had become her armour. All the other students in Augustus Day school had vacation homes in places like the Maldives or Provence, and they complained when their yachts were under repair. 
The promise of Paris had brought Aru one tiny step closer to belonging. Now Aru tried to not to shrink under Poppy's blue eyes gaze. My mom had a top secret mission with the museum. She couldn't take me. That was partly true. Her mom never took her on work trips. Burton threw down the green penny. You cheated me. I gave you two bucks. And you got a vintage penny, started Aru. Ariel cut off. We know you're lying, Arusha. That's what you are, a liar. And when we go back to school, we're going to tell everyone. Aru's insides squished. When she started at Augusta Day School last month, she's been hopeful. But that had been short-lived. Unlike the other students, she didn't get driven to school in a sleek black car. She didn't have a home offshore. She didn't have a study room or a sunroom. Just a room. And even she knew that her room was really more like a closet with delusions of grandeur. But what she did have was imagination. Aru had been daydreaming her whole life. Every weekend, while she waited for her mom to come home, she would con concoct a story. Her mother was a spy, an ousted princess, a sorceress. Her mom claimed she never wanted to go on business trips, but there were a necessity to keep the museum running. And when she came home and forgot about things, like a ruse chess game or a choir practice, it wasn't because she didn't care, but because she was too busy juggling the state of war and peace and art. So at Augustus Day School, whenever the other kids asked, Aru told tales, like the one she told herself. She talked about cities she'd never visited and meals she'd never eaten. If she arrived with scuffed up shoes, it was because her old pair had been sent to Italy for repair. She'd mastered the delicate, condescending eyebrow everyone else had, and she deliberately mispronounced the names of stores where she bought her clothes, like the French Target and the German Walmart. If that failed, she'd just sniff and say, trust me, you wouldn't recognize the brand. And in this way, she had fit in. For a while, the lies had worked. She'd even been invited to spend a weekend at the lake with Poppy and Ariel. But Aru had ruined everything the day she was caught sneaking from the carpool line. Ariel had asked which car was hers, and Aru pointed at one, and Aru's smile and turned thin. That's funny, because that's my driver's car. Ariel was giving Aru that same sneer now. You told us you have an elephant, said Poppy. Aru pointed at the stone elephant behind her. I do. You said that you rescued it from India. Well, Mom said it was salvaged from a temple, which is fancy talk for risk. Well, you said you have a cursed lamp, said Ariel. Aru saw the red light on Burton's phone, steady and unblinking. He was recording her. She panicked. What if the video went online? She had two possible choices. One, she could hope the universe might take pity on her and allow her to burst into flames before homeroom, or two, she could change her name, grow a beard and move away. Or, to avoid the situation entirely, she could show them something impossible. The cursed lamp is real, she said. I can prove it. 